The title of this morning's lesson is The Christian Attitude, and I really appreciated John's prayer after the announcement, uh, during the announcement, because he said in there that he prayed that we would not think of our will, but we would think of God's will. And that couldn't have been more relating to my message than anything said today. The Christian attitude from Matthew 5, 40 through 42. The rights of individuals and groups is a topic which often fills columns of newspapers and hours of TV news. There are many politicians and lawyers who make their living representing others who believe they have been cheated, slandered, or treated unfairly. However, the Christian's rights are not the same as the world's. This morning we will look at three examples of the Christian attitude relating to our rights and our self-denial. When we examine Christ's spiritual interpretation of the law of Moses and the attitude and conduct which does characterize his people, you and I, it is easy to see that our rights must frequently be sacrificed. The truth is, no person can be an acceptable follower of Christ unless they deny themselves. Matthew 16:24 tells us, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It should be obvious that Jesus makes self-denial an essential condition to Christian discipleship. Regarding the Lord's requirement on a person's attitude toward themselves, it could be said that no one can practice what our Lord illustrates here unless they have finished putting themselves before others. They must stop looking out for number one. And especially, they must give up what could be commonly called the rights of self. The whole trouble in our world, as we have seen, is ultimately this concern about self. What our Lord is trying to impress upon us here is that it is something of which we must rid ourselves entirely. We must rid ourselves of this constant tendency to be watching out for the interests of self. By the end of the message, you will see that we must be very careful that our time here on earth is not occupied with self-will, self-worth, and self-want. The passage now before us from Matthew chapter 5 cites three examples which show our Lord's superior moral interpretation of the law. You will see how it relates to you and I concerning the Christian attitude and self-denial. Example number one, Matthew 5.40. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. The tunic was the inner garment, while the cloak was the outer. 
Here the idea is to be ready to give up that which cannot be taken by law. It appears that according to Exodus chapter 22 and verses 26 and 27, that the poor were inherently entitled to keep this outer garment overnight, even though it had been pawned, and then return it the next morning. Exodus 22, verses 26 and 27 states, if you ever take your neighbor's garment as a pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. For that is his only covering, and it is his garment for his skin. What will he sleep in? And it will be that when he cries to me, I will hear, for I am gracious. But looking at the wider application of the principle now before us, if a follower of Christ is robbed of their earthly possessions by law or otherwise, it is far better to be defrauded than for that person to do wrong in trying to protect these possessions. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 7 to the church in Corinth these words, now therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? The Greeks were notorious for their love of going to law. Certain of the Greeks had brought this tendency into the Church of Christ. Paul is stating here that to go to law at all and especially to go to law with a member of the body of Christ is far below the Christian standard of behavior. If the Christian has the love of Christ within their heart, they will rather suffer insult and loss and injury than to try to inflict them on someone else, especially another Christian. A Christian does not deal with others with a desire for recompense and the principles of cold and calculating justice. The Christian deals with others with a spirit of love. This will demand of the Christian that they live at peace with the members of the church as well as their neighbors. The spirit of love will also keep the Christian from humiliating or degrading themselves by going to law. The writer of Hebrews wrote the following words found in Hebrews 10.34. For you had compassion on me and my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. There was an injustice that was practiced in the first century by both Jews and Gentiles alike. When a relative became a Christian, they were often disinherited. Their share of the property was withheld. Their credit and every source of gain was withdrawn, causing them to fall into a state of complete destitution. This passage from Hebrews refers to the heavy losses of property, which the Hebrew Christians had incurred in times of persecution. They bore this injustice joyfully as they focused on their heavenly inheritance. The Hebrews had joyfully submitted to being robbed 
of their earthly possessions because like Abraham, they had constantly in view the heavenly country and the city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Example number two, Matthew 5.41. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. The custom referred to here is said to have originated with the Persians and was borrowed from them by the Romans. The practice was to send royal mandates and other legal documents by horsemen who were stationed on public highways at certain intervals. And if the need should arise, these governmental carriers had the legal right to force men, horses, and other means of transportation into service so that these mandates and documents should reach their destinations. Under the Romans, this practice was expanded to include being compelled into giving food, providing lodging, and carrying baggage. The word for such compulsion was agaruin. In the end, the word came to signify any kind of forced impressment into the service of an occupying power. Sometimes the occupying power exercised this right of compulsion in the most tyrannical and unsympathetic way. Always the threat of compulsion hung over the citizens. Palestine was an occupied country. At any moment, a Jew might feel the touch of the flat steel of a Roman spear on his shoulder and know that he was compelled to serve the Romans. It might be in the most menial way. That, in fact, is what happened to Simon of Cyrene, who was compelled to bear the cross of Jesus. So then what Jesus was saying to the first century Jews was, when the Romans come to you and they compel you to be a rider, a guide, or a porter for a mile, don't do a mile with bitter and obvious resentment. Go two miles with cheerfulness and with a good attitude. Here in Matthew 5.41, our Lord is telling you, the child of God, to not always be thinking of your liberty to do as you like, but be always thinking of your duty and your privilege to be of service to others. When a task is laid on you, even if the task is unreasonable or hateful, don't do it as a grim duty to be resented, but do it as a service to be gladly rendered. There is always two ways of doing something. A person can do the absolute minimum and nothing more. They can do it in such a way as it makes it clear that they hate the whole thing, they can do it with the barest amount of efficiency and no more. Or they can do it with a smile, with courtesy and determination, not only to do this thing, but to do it well and graciously. They can do it not simply as well as they have to, but far better than anyone expects them to do. The inefficient worker, the resentful servant, and the ungracious helper 
haven't the slightest idea of what it means to have the Christian attitude that Christ requires. The Christian attitude is not concerned to do what one likes, but the concern is only to help. Even when the demand for help is discourteous, unreasonable, and tyrannical. In other words, return good for evil. Brother Paul wrote in Romans 12, 17 through 21, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Example number three, Matthew 5.42. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. So instead of the Christian's conduct being selfish or miserly, it should be generous and liberal. A benevolent disposition casts out greed, just as light does darkness. The law of Moses did not provide for Jews to lend to their brethren, except for benevolent purposes. And for that, no interest was allowed. And if the debt was not repaid beforehand, it would be canceled at the end of the seventh year. Leviticus chapter 25 and verses 35 through 38 tells us, If one of your brethren becomes poor and falls into poverty among you, then you shall help him like a stranger or a sojourner, that he may live with you. Take no usury or interest from him, but fear your God that your brother may live with you. You should not lend him your money for usury, nor lend him your food at a profit. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. Then there are, there's this wonderful passage from Deuteronomy 15, verses 7 through 11. If there is among you a poor man of your brethren within any of the gates in your land which your Lord God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your poor brother. You shall open your hand wide and willingly lend him sufficient for his needs, whatever he needs. Beware lest there be a wicked thought in your heart saying, the seventh year, the year of release is at hand and your eye be evil against your poor brother, and you give him nothing, and he cry out to the Lord against you, and it becomes sin among you. You shall surely give to him, and your heart should not be grieved when you give to him, because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in all to which you put your hand. For the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore I command you, saying, you shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor, and to your needy in your land. 
It appears, therefore, that the giving and lending referred to here are limited to cases of real need and that the amount which is given or lent is to be regulated accordingly. Everything we have is from God. The things we have on earth, they're just temporary. We're not taking them with us. We have been blessed with so much, especially in this country. We don't own a thing. We are only stewards. All belongs to God. He is the giver and he is the provider. Our giving should be carried out as privately and secretly as possible. There was a certain place in the temple to which people secretly came and gave their gifts. These secret gifts were used in secrecy to help the impoverished members of once noble families and to give their daughters of these impoverished ones dowries so that they could marry. The Jew would have regarded with contempt the gift which was given for the sake of prestige or publicity or self-glorification. Giving is a privilege and an obligation. In reality, all we're doing is giving back to God. To give to a needy person is not something that the child of God chooses to do. It is something that they must do. For if we refuse, the refusal is to God. The great rabbis said, He who befriends the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his good deed. They also said to everyone who shows mercy to others, mercy is shown from heaven. But to him who shows no mercy to others, no mercy is shown from heaven. The rabbis loved to point out that loving kindness was one of the very few things to which the law appointed no limit at all. Our Lord said it best when he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. The greatest example of self-denial was given by our Lord, of course. We'll close the lesson this morning with this reading from Philippians chapter 2 and verses 3 through 8. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So at this time, we do offer our invitation. If we have a visitor here today or anyone that has never put Christ on in baptism, if you've never been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit, we're going to offer that to you this morning. You believe that Jesus is the Christ who died for your sins and you're willing to repent of those sins and confess him as your Lord and Savior and then be immersed, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. We're ready and willing to assist you in that. You may be a brother or sister here this morning. 
And you may have a burden on your heart that you have been carrying all morning, all week, all month, all year. Today, you can bring that burden to us. We will pray with you and support you through it. That's what we're about here at the Church of Christ. So whatever your need is this morning, won't you let us know what that is? Together, we stand and sing our hymn of invitation.